Father, we just want to thank you for this morning that you have given to us this evening, Father. Father, for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. Father, you are a good God. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, have mercy, Father, this evening. Even as we are here, as your children in your house, that you would grant us grace to walk with you, to obey your word. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy, Father. More of your love. More of your power. You said, O Lord, you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And therefore this evening, even as we meditate upon your word, I pray, Lord Jesus, that that you would increase our faith, increase our obedience, increase our surrender. Lord, have mercy upon us, O Lord. For so many areas we have failed you. But Lord, I pray this evening that you would strengthen us once again by the by the word, Father. That you would wash us by your word. That you would strengthen the foundations that have been shaken, O Lord, wherever it is, O Lord. And I, I pray, Father, that each one of us will stand firm, O Lord, Father, on that solid rock. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And you said, I will liken to this man who hears my word and does it. He was, he's like a man who has built his house on the foundation of the rock and the rains came and the flood came, but that house stood firm. And therefore, O Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace, Father, this evening to strengthen the foundations. Father, once again, to remind us to rem- of all the things that we have we have learned over the years, to reinforce them, O Lord, to make them fresh in our minds, O Lord, strengthen them, O Lord Jesus. If they've, if uh, our knees have gone feeble, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would strengthen us. If, if our resolve has 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 uh, lessened, O Lord Jesus, or, or has whined, O Lord Jesus, I pray you will you will, Father, strengthen us, O Lord Father. And if us if we have Father, gone lukewarm, that you will fan us back to flames, O Lord, this evening. Stir us up to good works, to remind us, O Lord Jesus, and remind us, O Lord, of the calling that you have for each one of us in this last hour of time. Pray for all those who are on the way, that you would bring them to your house on time safely. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Titled today's message as the an ambition to please God. An ambition to please God. An ambition to please God. Last uh, Wednesday, we were looking at uh, this text uh, in First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 23. Uh, we'll revisit that, and from there we will continue. First Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 to 23. It says. So Samuel said to Saul, has the Lord as great delight, delight, the word delight is also translated as pleasure, pleasure 
that you can give God pleasure. Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen or to heed than the fat of rams. Verse 22, 23, For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king over Israel. We were looking at the three enemies that we have and we know that from study of the scripture and if you've been coming to church regularly, the three enemies that we war against constantly every day of our life is our flesh, the world which is outside and also the devil. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood and the primary thing that we were looking at is looking at the enemy inside of us, concentrating on, uh, on that. In that context, in the last two Wednesdays, we looked at, or rather three Wednesdays, we looked at, uh, in, uh, in, in the, uh, the Amalekites in, uh, Exodus chapter 17, where, uh, the Amalekites, they attack the Israelites when they were weak. Okay? So, we know that when our flesh is the weakest, we are vulnerable to fall. We studied that in detail. Last time, uh, and the next next Wednesday, we looked at the fact that Saul was asked to deal with the Amalekites, a decisive blow, meaning to get rid of the Amalekites, and because God had declared a war against the Amalekites from generation to generation, which essentially Amalekites is a figurative in the sense that it is the flesh inside of each one of us, the old man, which is very stubborn. And Galatians 5.17 would say, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Okay, and we looked at fact that last when uh, when Saul was asked to uh, devote himself to destruction, everything of the Amalekites, the young ones, the men, the women, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, even the little infants, everything was supposed to be uh, given a decisive blow to kill everything. Don't spare anything, Agag, all that the Amalekites have, just destroy completely. And we know that Saul devotes to destruction all the detestable things, but those things which are good, he saves them. And we understood from scripture, it is just not the bad things in our flesh that God hates. It is even the good things in our flesh the Lord hates. There is nothing good inside of us. So we looked at the fact that it is not just the detestable things that are in the flesh. It is also those things which we think are good are an abomination to God. It's a very remarkable statement. And Romans chapter 7 verse 18, Paul would confess and he says, For I know and I hope that we all will realize over a period of time that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. But even if I do something which is right, it is not pleasing to the Lord if it is done in the flesh. Why? 
Romans chapter 8 verses 7 to 8. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And what, did, what is the title of today's message? Our An ambition to please God. You need to understand something. Um, I was listening to a man of God today in the morning. There are two ways in which the word of God works in our lives. The first way is that when you hear the word of God, the word of God does a decisive thing in a work in, inside of us in that it penetrates through our mind, through our soul and hits our spirit, convicts us and does an incredible work inside of us. I think you heard it. An incredible work inside of us and from that day onwards... We change completely. And we do things. So all overnight there's a, there's an incredible change because we heard the word of God, the spirit of God quickens that word deep down inside of us and there's a change that is affected from the deepmost parts of our heart from the next day we are not the same. I mean that is most of the time it happens in salvation experiences when we really, really have an encounter with the Lord. We heard the word, we are convicted and it impacts us deep down inside of us and from the next day onwards, everything around us changes. But that is not the complete change. There is another way in which the word of the Lord works. We hear the word of God. It penetrates through our soul. Gets deposited in our spirit. It does not affect a change instantaneously necessarily, but over a period of time, even as you walk with the Lord, and when you encounter a situation, there is a reservoir of the word of God where the spirit of God will draw out and make it alive for the particular situation. That is the reason why Jesus said, when they bring you before the magistrates and the and all those people do not be afraid don't think what i should speak to you but the spirit of god will bring to remembrance what he has spoken and taught you and there's an in, in, incredible change that is affected inside of your life so what we are doing as of now is may not affect uh instantaneous change in each one of our lives but what we are doing we are depositing the word of god through the spirit of God into the reservoir of our spirit so that when the time arises, it will become life. My words are spirit and life. Okay. It is a spirit that brings life. The flesh profits nothing. My words are spirit. And life. And so when we come to the ministry of the word of God, just keep this in mind. So today, we're going to study some things which we have studied over and over again. Many of you are new, new believers. So one of the things that constantly we need to do is strengthen our foundations and keep building. See, unlike a structure in the, in the world where once the foundation is laid, you can't change it. You got it? You have to start building the superstructure on top of it. But the spiritual walk is not like that. 
What you constantly need to do is keep strengthening the foundation and keep building. Both of them have to happen simultaneously over a period of time. Strengthen the foundation, build. Strengthen the foundation, build. Strengthen the foundation, build. That's exactly what happened uh, to, to, to Joshua when they were when they entered into the promised land. They not only were conquering new territory, they were also holding on to the territory which they already conquered. So that they would not slip. That is the reason why it says in Romans chapter 13, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think as to how to gratify the desires of your flesh. In other words, it says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not give any provision to the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And therefore, what we do in church over a period of time, even as we continuously, constantly listen to the word of God, the, the, the thing is that we always strengthen the foundations that we have, that we have been taught. And keep building. Strengthen the foundations. Keep building. Why? It says in the book of Psalms, if I'm right, in Psalms chapter 7, it says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the who do? Not the sinners. The righteous do. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And therefore, one thing that we keep going back is to the foundations. Go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. That's exactly what we do in every subject, especially in mathematics. Oh, you're not able to understand uh, 11th standard? Oh, let's go back to the 10th standard. I'm not not able to understand the 10th standard. Let's go back to the 9th. Let's go back to the uh, 8th. And finally, we'll say, okay, but you don't even know addition, multiplication, division, subtraction. Let's start from the basics. And from there, we keep on building, building, building. In the meantime, suddenly people will forget. So we go back, strengthen the foundation, keep building. Strengthen the foundation, keep building. It happens all the time. And you know something which I've, which I realized over a period of time is when I finished undergrad school, I went to graduate, graduate school. Okay, I finished my bachelor's, I went to master's. When I was studying master's, suddenly I realized why I studied something in my undergrad. For example, I did a course called Linear Algebra in the first semester of B-Tech. Or other second semester of B.Tech, second year. I had no idea why I was studying it. And suddenly when I, when I was encountered with a situation in my, during my master's study and suddenly it made sense. Oh, I studied this stuff. That is the reason why I studied. You see, something was brought to remembrance. That's exactly what the Spirit of God do, God does. What we are doing is we are depositing and we are strengthening the foundation so that when you go in, or progress in your walk with the Lord and when you encounter situations in your life, God will bring to remembrance the foundations that have been laid so that you will be able to encounter that situation and circumstance with wisdom. Okay? Therefore, see, Christian walk is just like making a building, building a house, building on the foundations. So even though today's message is titled as an ambition to please God will be going back to the foundations. I'll tell you why, how this is tied up with the foundations. We cannot please God if we are in the flesh. That is Romans chapter 8 verse 8. It's a devastating verse. Romans chapter 8 verse 8 verse verse, verse in our flesh there is nothing good. And even if we do something good in the flesh, it is an abomination to God. You know, man of God gave this incredible example, which I can, uh, which which just came home to me in such incredible, it's a in, su- in such a powerful way. Think about um, uh, a teenager who grows in a godly home, 
Okay, he grows up, grows up, and now he's 18 years old, and he says, I've had enough of this upbringing in among, uh, in, in, in your house, I want to go outside. So he leaves home. He goes to a city, and then he wants to make a, make it in the, make it in the world. In his, in his Christian home, he was taught a lot of Christian principles, but, you know, he didn't like his parents. He said, I'm, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay under authority. I just want to go. So he rebels against his parents, goes out, and he goes to the city, let's say, he goes to the city, and now he has to pay his tuition fee, etc., etc. So what does he do? He takes up a part-time job as a cook in a restaurant. Think about it, okay? Part-time job as a cook in a restaurant, and he's... And now he also learned some principles of hard work in his home. So if he has to really make money, he has to work hard. So he works honestly and he works very hard because he knows that his paycheck depends upon how many hours he puts in. I mean, this is my life. When I was in Canada, I did all these things. Okay. So if I have to, if I have to, my, all the while he's working and let's, let's imagine one day his parents come to the city and they come to that restaurant. Oh, they order. For a beautiful, for a, for a particular thing on the menu. And who cooks it? The son is in the kitchen cooking for his parents. The parents don't know. The son doesn't know. The, the meal is prepared and it comes to the table and the son, I mean, and, the, and the parents eat the meal and they say, boy, isn't it amazing? This is real, real good food. Okay. What is happening over there? He is pleasing his parents all the while rebelling against them. Picture this. Now think about it, no? Think about the situation now. The parents are so, you know, impressed with the meal. They say, you know what? We just want to compliment the cook. Can you just introduce the cook to us? What will happen? The moment they see that it was the son who gave them that meal, they will forget about the pleasure the food gave. In their hearts still, you know why? That food was a result of rebellion, even though it pleased them instantaneously. That's exactly what God says. Anything that you do, even if it is ostensibly good, if it is not under the subjection and the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's still an abomination. It will still not please me. You got that? See? I mean, I'm telling you honestly. What gives me pleasure as a father? I mean, is when my children obey me from their heart. I mean, all that, now their children, they pray prayers like, help me to never hurt mama. That is what they pray now. But when they grow up, hopefully it happens like that. No, if that that is what really really pleases the father, that children are loyal to their parents. It is not so much the good that they do, but the attitude which with with which they do. That is what pleases the parents. And I'm sure many parents who are already here know what I'm talking about, <laughs> isn't it? So he says we cannot please God if we are in the flesh. You see. And there are so many people in Christendom thinking that they are doing good, but they are 
actually not pleasing God. Do they love God? Yes, they do love God. But are they pleasing God? No. That's what pastor keeps telling us, you know. There's a difference between God loving us and God being pleased with us. There's a completely different, total, total, total C difference between the two. God might love us. He He sure does love us. But it does not imply necessarily that he is pleased with us. So, if you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. So look at these verses. Romans chapter 8 verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see that? Let's so, so just read that word in the circle. Everybody? Cannot please God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 8. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So you can be doing a lot of good, ostensibly. But God might be thinking completely different. You see? What good thing should I do to inherit eternal life? That's what the rich young ruler said. What good thing should I do? How do we qualify anything as good? We may do a lot of good. But God is not pleased with all that we call as good. That's what we talked about last time. Unless it's a sacrifice of self and not self-sacrifice. With self-sacrifice you can do a lot of good. And you can also bring independence to a nation. Father of our nation. Self-sacrifice. But how do we how do we qualify whether it is a sacrifice of self or self-sacrifice? And we looked at that one verse in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, which is a quintessential verse which will qualify whether it is good or whether it is self-sacrifice or sacrifice of self. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure, that's what we said, right? Not endure in infirmities. I take delight. Not endure infirmities. I take delight in reproaches. Not endure reproaches. I take delight in needs and not endure needs. I I take delight in persecutions. Not endure persecutions. In distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see? I take delight. A lot of people endure, but they don't take delight. Think about it, no? If you are weak in mathematics, do you like it? No. (laughs) I hate it. If you are not good at English, do you like it? No, you don't like it. Do you say, oh, I delight in the fact that my English is bad? Nobody says that. That is the reason why, you know, what Paul says, not many wise are chosen. Not many noble have have been chosen. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to bring to naught those things that are. Therefore, The point here is we may be having a zeal for God but never please God. Do you know that? Do you know that? We may be having zeal for not other gods, the true God. But still not be able to please God. Not never please God. Do you have a zeal for God? Yes, so many people have zeal for God. But do they they please God? If they ask themselves this question, they don't. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 10 verse 1 to 3. An incredible verse. Uh, 
Paul is talking about his Jewish kinsmen. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God for them, that is to the Jew, of, about the Jewish people, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Not for any other God. They have a zeal for Yahweh. Think about it. Paul himself had a zeal for Yahweh, but he was working against Yahweh. You may be having a zeal for God and never be saved. Do you know that? There are so many people in Christendom who have a zeal for God, but they never save it. How do I know that they have zeal for God? They attend every Bible study. They go to every cottage prayer meeting. They observe Lent. They observe Advent. Everything. Fasting, prayer, everything. They have a zeal for God, but not saved. For I bear witness, them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know why? For, because, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. That is the reason why. They want to establish their own. They want to earn their way to heaven. See, the parable of the river, if I'm right, is what Max Lucado writes in his book, In the Grip of Grace. I was looking at, I was in the library, Pastor James, he just pulled that book and he just gave it to me and he said, read that book. We, were t- we are doing a Romans Bible study in, 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 uh, in our Tuesday Bible study. And that, that book was really powerful. In the first introduction, introductory chapter, he gives a very interesting example of five brothers. The elder brother, who is the strongest, and four younger brothers who are not very strong. And there's a river near their town. Very, very, very torrential river. Very rough. Father says, don't go by that river, don't go by that river, don't go by that river. And the four brothers one day decide, okay, fine, let's go. They go into the river, they just want to see how the river looks and they look, they look at it, okay, I think we can, we should be able to handle it. It's not that rough. So they get into the river. The moment they get into the river, the river is so rough, it just pulls them down. And they're before they realize what had happened to them, they just go downstream, they go down a waterfall and they crash down and they swim and they come to, a, to an island where they don't know. Four brothers who reach an island. Who's, who's there back? The elder brother is there and, and father is there at the, at the, at the, at the, at the, at that beautiful home, okay? And they, this come to, they, they want to desperately go back. Now they realize they can't go back upstream. The river is so rough. So four brothers, they say, what, we sh- what should we do? Over a period of time, they start settling down in that place. Yeah? And one brother says, forget about all this. I'm just going. I'm going to settle down here. So he goes and he sees the natives of that, of that, of that island. He gets comfortable with the native people and he does all kinds of stupid things. There's another brother who's observing this other brother who's doing all kinds of hideous things and marking all the wrongs. Hurry, this, he sinned. Here, he sinned. Here, he sinned. And there's another brother who said, Oh, I have sinned. I have sinned against my father. What should I do? I will go back to my father. So how is he going to go back? He's going to make a, a bridge with rocks on the river. Try to reach, reach, reach his father. And he does slowly, brick by brick, brick by brick. Is, is he able to do it? Never. He'll never be able to reach his father. And one day, 
the strong man comes. The eldest brother comes. Tries to rescue these three brothers and they all say, we don't want to, we don't, the, the, the toughest guy to actually convince will be the guy who says, you know what, I want to go back to my father. I've already made five steps. Back to my father. You know what the elder brother says? You have five million more to go. I want to establish my own righteousness. And they are ignorant of God's righteousness. And how are they ignorant? They are willfully ignorant. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I have rejected you from being a priest to me. You see? My people are destroyed because they are ignorant. Ignorant. And willfully. Most of the time. Willfully. My people are destroyed because they are ignorant. They are ignorant of God's righteousness. Therefore, how do we go back here? So how does we, how do we, how do we ensure that we please God? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 onwards he says, For we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at, at home with the Lord. Look at what he says. So we make it our goal or our ambition or our aim to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. How do we please him? Why, why should we do that? Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. So how do we, how do we ensure that we please God? How can we please God? Is the question. How should we, how, what are the steps that we should take to please God? One of the things that we need to understand. Unless God starts anything inside of inside of our lives, we can never please God. That is the reason why John chapter 6 verse 44 will say, No one can come to the Father except the Spirit of God draws him to the Father. You see? What does it mean? Unless the Lord builds, we labor in Unless he does a work inside of us, we can never please God. See? Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, and we will, this will be the, the, the crux of, our, of today's message. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, which is a new covenant, May the God of peace, verse 21, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working where? In you first. Working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. You got that everybody? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So what, how, how do we apply this verse? First observation, I can never work anything that qualifies as good and pleasing in the sight of God unless God first works it inside of me. Got that? What does it mean? He makes me good so that I can do good and therefore please Him. That's the first step. Okay? He makes me good so that I can do good and please Him. Look at what it says in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with 
fear and trembling. And verse 12 is very, verse 13 is very interesting. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see, he works inside of me to will and to obey. You see, that's the remarkable thing. That's the new covenant. That's, that's the reason why, uh, new birth is a radical, 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 uh, change. I mean, that happens. It's something which we cannot explain. It says in 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 4, if I'm right, he says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. Having been born again, not with perishable seed, but by imperishable seed. He is the one who causes it. Okay, look at what Paul will say in Romans chapter 15 verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You see that? In leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. What does it mean? It means that Paul serves Christ through the strength which with, with which Christ serves Paul. Unless God does it first in us, we can never be able to please him. John's gospel chapter 13 verse 8. We all know this verse. We studied that several times. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless he washes me, you have no part with me. Okay. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9 to 10. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am. Look at what he says. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Meaning what? It was Paul was completely surrendered to Christ and Christ was completely working through him, inside of him. So if you look at him, who's working? Paul. Is Christ working? Yes. How much percent Christ? 100% Christ. And what about Paul? 100% Paul. 100% Christ? 100% Paul. And he has the audacity to say, he says, I have the mind of Christ. So so completely transformed. I have the mind of Christ. In other words, the thoughts that I'm thinking now, if Christ was alive, he would be thinking those same thoughts. Completely changed from the inside out. From the inside out. This is the new covenant, right? Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Meaning, I will bless you and through you and from from you, I'm going to touch everybody else. I'm going to do a work inside of you. Therefore, you can never make anything good by changing the fruit. You change the tree from the root. The axe has to be laid to the root. And then you have to be changed from inside out. That is how we build. That is how, that is how God builds. So how does he build? How does he build? Very important for us to understand. How does he build? How does he build? He builds this way. In Jeremiah chapter 3 verses 9 to 10. This is what he says. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. You need to understand every time a prophet is commissioned, you know what he touches first? His mouth. What he touches? What, what he, what, what part of Isaiah he touches? 
his lips. Behold, I'm a man of unclean lips. Every time a prophet is commissioned, he touches their mouth. Why? For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks, meaning what? Is actually indirectly touching their heart so that what comes out of their mouth is affected from inside and not the outside, not the other way. So how does he do it? This is how God builds. Very painful process. Very, very painful process. It is not easy. Okay? Discipleship is not easy. Building a church is not easy. It is stone by stone. We sang that song in Telugu, right? Silpi Chetilo. Sila Nunenu. I don't think it is Sila. We'll have to change it. Silpi Chetilo. Okay? actually. You're all living stones, not Sila. Sila is sculpture. No, no, no. He's not building a, he's not making a sculpture. He's making us a living stone. He's, 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 he's chiseling out everything so that he can fit us into the body of Christ. You see, that's what he's doing. Okay. So then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So what is he going to do? How is he going to do this? Verse 10. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. First, how am I going to do? What am I going to do? I will pluck. I will break down. I will destroy. I will overthrow. Then I will build. Then I will plant. What does it tell me? God is not going to build anything on false foundations at all. See, that is the reason why we go back to the foundations over and over again. He's not going to build anything on false foundations. First, he's going to break down, he's going to root out, he's going to pluck it out, and then he's going to build, and then he's going to plant nothing on false foundations. Understand that. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 9 to 10, 19 to 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the sa- uh, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is going to build on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Christ being the chief cornerstone. That is how he starts. He builds. There is no other foundation. He's going to destroy every other foundation which is not of God. And that is the reason why in church, constantly we go back to the basics. We go back to the foundation so that the structure that we are building, we know is strong. Okay? See, you need to understand the admonition Jesus gives in Luke's Gospel chapter 19. With patience. Possess your souls. He who endures till the end will be saved. And it says in Timothy that time is coming when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. No. They want to go away from those foundations. You know why? Because we are all living stones. We are not like one structure which is going to stay there. We all have to make choice to believe in that foundation every day of our life. If you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress is remarkable. There are so many characters in the, in Pilgrim's Progress, but there is one character who is directly picked up from the Bible. One character without change of the name. You know who that character is? 
His name is Demas. It's amazing. Of all the characters which have been chosen to write that book, one character is directly picked up from the Bible. And you know where, where Demas is placed? He's placed at the end of the walk, not at the beginning of the walk. You know why? Demas forsakes Paul, having loved the present world, having served with Paul, being a co-laborer with Paul. Just imagine you being a co-laborer with Paul. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it, no? Just imagine, no? If sharing the pulpit with Pastor James, Bhutan. Oh, what an experience. Co-laborer with Paul. The man who established the church always go, 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 go. And Dimas who worked with him and one day forsakes him. Having loved the present world, he forsakes. He says, no, this is enough. Do you think it's not gonna, it cannot happen to each one of us? Let any man who thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he falls. Oh. Of all the characters, that's stunning. I mean, I was thinking, I was reading Pilgrim's Progress. All of you should read Pilgrim's Progress, okay? If you don't get, if you can't understand the original version, get a picture version. Read it at least once in your life. It'll really, really stir you up. There's no other foundation. The foundations, the way God is going to make us, He's going to root out everything first, which is not of Him. Every day of our lives. He's going to show it to us. There's no other foundation. No other foundation. What is that? No other foundation. First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a wise master builder, I laid the foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take heed how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, Precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be, will become manifest for the day will disclose it. And how is it going to be disclosed? It is going to be disclosed with fire. It's going to be tested. It's going to be tested with fire. No other foundation. What is it? No other foundation. What is that? No other foundations. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what the wages of sin is? So Romans 3.23 will say, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And Romans 5 verse 8 will say, God has demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And therefore, Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Foundation. Easy to remember? 323, 623, 58, 10, 9. All from the book of Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death. Even now, if you sin, is death. Anything which is not from faith is sin. Romans 15, 23. And wages of sin is death. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you have heard the word of God and if you have not obeyed it, you have sinned. I was telling the Grace Home children the other day on 
Proverbs, when I was teaching Proverbs, what I said, you know, during the examination, the, t- the, t- the children always want, want uh, this question. Lord, uh, sorry, teacher, sorry, sir, what is the portion for the exam? What is the syllabus? Right? Everybody, examination, what is the syllabus for exam? What I tell my students, today is last class for the midterm. Two days from now is the exam. Whatever I spoke in this class until the last moment of the class will appear in the exam paper. Okay. What has come out of my mouth, you are accountable. That is the reason why coming to GTC, you will be accountable. Whatever is coming out of this pulpit, if you do not obey, you have sinned. And the wages of sin is? See? But that doesn't mean that we should be ignorant. No, 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 no. Ignorance is not a virtue in the kingdom of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. If we confess with our mouth, with your mouth, with our mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That is the foundation. That is the reason why it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God has done it all for us, meaning we can never save ourselves. He has to do a decisive work in each one of our lives by saving us. All the works that we have done, that is the reason that the first foundation principle is repentance from what? From dead works. Acts that lead to death. Every other foundation, no other foundation can be laid. You can be saved through grace and grace alone from the beginning to the end. It is all the work of grace. So that is the first foundation. No other foundation. Christ is that cornerstone. That is the reason why when Peter is asked this question, who do you think that I am? You know what he says? You are the son of the living God. And what, you know what Jesus says? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven, on this foundation I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That is the foundation, the chief cornerstone, the work of God of Jesus on the cross. That is the foundation. No other foundation can be laid. That is the reason why conviction of sin is so important. And the moment we start preaching from here or any other place, when if there is no conviction of sin, there is no genuine repentance. You need to understand that. The whole purpose of the preaching of ministry is to convict you of your sin. You know, it's remarkable, no? If you read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, the ch- Christian reads the book, which is a which is a book, what is the book? The Bible. The moment he starts reading the Bible, you know what he feels? He feels a heavy burden on his shoulder. What does he f- experience? A heavy burden on his shoulder. What is, that sh- what is that heavy burden? We all know it's a guilt, the guilt of sin over our lives. You know what happens? He reads it and he says, I'm, I'm running away from the city. I'm running away from the city. I want to get rid of this burden which is on my shoulder. So he walks and keeps walking. He meets the evangelist. And the evangelist asks him, what are you doing? He says, I have got a big burden on my shoulder. Who told you that you have a big burden on your shoulder? I read this book. Oh, I want to get rid of this burden. Today's evangelist will say, you know what? Come on. You're very easy. Very, very easy. Step one, step two, step three. You're saved. 
He is never going to do that. You know what he says? Go to the narrow gate. It takes him almost like 20 to 25 pages. He is carrying the burden. Evangelist meets him at least twice. Third time, there is an interpreter who interprets the Bible to him and then he goes to the cross and that is where the burden falls away, right? And we sing that song, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. And today we are in a hurry to get people saved and we never make them feel guilty of their sin. Never. And the whole purpose of the preaching ministry is to convict you of your sin and show you the righteous standard of God. This is what God requires. Otherwise, why will, why will you cry out? How will I be saved? Never, nobody, nobody cries out. So very, very few people cry out. Many people come to Jesus Christ, you know why? Because they have problems. They never say, I have sinned. Christ has come to save us from our sins, not to deliver us from our problems. You know why? Our problems are, are because of our sin. Why is there suffering in this world? It is because of sin. And no other foundation can be laid. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And have you ever said, Lord, I have sinned? Very few people I know, they said, I have sinned, Lord. I have sinned. There is never genuine conviction. And therefore, there is never genuine repentance. Their repentance is so shallow. And therefore, their ministries are so shallow. The preaching is so shallow. It is by grace. Therefore, there is no other foundation. And one of the things that we keep on constantly keep doing, Lord, make my repentance more and more and more deeper and stronger so that I will always have a sensitivity to sin. Okay? That is the first foundation. No other foundation. The second foundation is the apostolic foundation. We have the chief cornerstone, which is the, Jesus Christ himself being the foundation. And then we have the apostolic foundation and the prophetic foundation. Two, two, three foundations which we are going to talk about today. The apostolic foundation. What is the apostolic foundation? Romans chapter 1 verse 5 to 6. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Through grace you have been saved. Through faith you have been saved. That is the first step. The second step through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about what? Obedience of faith. You see, you have been saved. A lot of people are saved, but they never are taught to obey. You see? To bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Including all of you. That is Romans chapter 1 verse 5 to 6. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. What? How many? Everything. Not just few things. Everything that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always even to the ends of the world. That is what the apostolic foundation, apostolic ministry is all about. What is the function of the apostolic ministry to bring about obedience? There are two ways that obedience have to be, has to be brought about. First thing, you have to be well taught and you have to be well modeled. Two things. Very important. Many people are well taught but they are not well modeled. Many people are well modeled but they are not well taught. Both are important. You need to have examples of obedience. You need to also have teaching which brings about that obedience. Both are important. Teaching them to obey. Next. 
Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what happens? The foundation is laid. Verse 41 and 42. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Did they stop there? No. They continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There was a steadfast, steadfast Study of the word of God so that they, it, they can be brought to obedience. That is what the apostolic foundation is all about. What, we are, what are we doing? We are teaching you the standards of God and we are telling you, you know what? You have to be brought to that obedience. How are we going to do that? We are going to model a lifestyle and we are also going to teach you. That is the reason why Paul tells Timothy, take heed of your doctrine and also of your life so that those who hear you and you also can be saved. Both are important. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. You see that? Same. Obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is how we keep on teaching you to bring about obedience. And verse 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3. For though we war according to the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Though we walk according to the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine, divine powers to destroy strongholds. And then we destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see that? Obey Christ. And then being ready to punish every disobedience. Do we stop there? No. Until your obedience is complete. You come to my class, if you are a 10th class student, and you say, I want to do tuition under you. You ask Jyoti how I teach teach them. By By the time they finish the year, they have solved every problem in the textbook. That is what the true teacher will do. Every problem is solved. The whole problem of the point of the apostolic mystery is to get complete obedience. Why? Let's read that. Tell, read it everybody. Partial obedience is disobedience. I think about it, no? I mean, we, it's okay till in 10th class. Think about a doctor. You finish your MBBS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what is your marks? Think about now how many doctors can place their marks on their clinics. Anatomy, 35%. Just to pass. Okay. All the other things, they have just passed, just passed, just passed, just passed, just passed. If they place that on their clinic boards, how many will go there? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody will go. I mean, they're very, very intelligent. <laughs> they will never tell how much they got in their exam. You see? And that, that is the difference between a uh, doctor from All India Institute of Medical Sciences from or any other doctor. I talked to Dr. David once. And he tells me, he says, you know what, Brother Vijay, I've seen doctors from Ames. Boy, they are so good in differential diagnosis, whatever that means. I like the word differential, but therefore I just mind, kept it in mind. Because that is the closest to mathematics, right? They're very good at differential diagnosis. 
In other words, unless they get 80% in every, any exam, they will not pass, they will not pass them. Think about it, no? How much of a doctor are you? 35% doctor. Do you want to go there? No way! No way! You see, that's the whole point of apostolic ministry is to bring you to absolute obedience. And to show everything that is in your life which is not going to make you stand or make you ashamed before the judgment seat of Christ. That is the reason why Paul tells them, I taught you the whole counsel of God. Whole counsel. The good, the bad and the ugly of God. Nobody's blood is on my hands. Every On the day of judgment, when, they, when I stand before God, I will tell God, I taught them everything with tears every day. Warning them, teaching them from house to house like we do. House to house, Bible study to Bible study, midweek service to midweek service. You go to every Bible study, there will be one person who is always present. You know who that person is? Vijay. Who is always present? Others want to be 35% doctors, 25% doctors. Because they don't want total obedience. You see? Because they don't realize that partial obedience is disobedience. You know what? That's exactly what we were talking from, uh, talking from the life, life of Saul, right? Look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul. This is when God asked him to destroy the Amalekites. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. In other words, did you obey the commandment of the Lord? Yes, I obeyed. What is that I'm hearing? This is Saul's confession. I obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And what does Samuel say? Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? What does Saul persist? Look at what he says. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. See? <laughs> like choice or Lishna exam. That is the reason why in many, nowadays in exams there are no choices anymore because they have understood. If I study unit number one, unit number two, unit number three, somehow I will pass. Think about it, no? Every unit you have to get minimum of 80%. How many will pass? I obey. Will I not get pass, pass mark? God has rejected you. You are disqualified. So what is the function of the apostolic ministry is to bring you to obedience by teaching you the whole counsel of God. Whole counsel. And how do they do? They not only teach you the whole counsel of God, they model the whole counsel of God through their lives. That is the reason why there are very few models. Very few models. Very, very, very few. Look at the idols that we worship in our country, Virat Kohli. Who does? It is bad. We like it. Very few. That is the reason why Paul tells, you know what? They have 10,000 teachers, but very few fathers. You have to be modeled. Well taught and well modeled. Not only complete obedience, but obedience which glorifies God. That's the whole idea. Why? All have sinned and fallen short of the Glory of God. And therefore, what should the apostolic ministry do? Bring him back to the point where he glorifies God through his life. Look at what he says. Obedience, uh, not obedience chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship 
to bring about the obedience of faith. Does it stop there? For the sake of his name, you see. God's name has to be glorified through my obedience and that is the function of the apostolic ministry. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. God be thanked. Who should be thanked? God be thanked that you obeyed. Think about it, no? Vijay, I thank God for your obedience. I don't thank you for your obedience. I thank God because unless God would have worked inside of you, you would never have been obedient in your life. Obedience that glorifies God. The function of the apostolic ministry is to bring about total, absolute obedience by teaching every aspect of the counsel of God. Not only that, to model a lifestyle of obedience and thirdly, to model a lifestyle of obedience and to teach obedience which brings God glory. Why? Because we have so many people who call themselves apostles and they get glory for themselves and not glorify God. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10 to 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything who may be glorified, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is the reason why the pulpit has to be absolutely uncompromised and the standards have to always have to be high. Because if the head is sick, the whole body is sick. That is the reason why God is zealous about the pulpit. That is the apostolic foundation. Got it? What is the other foundation? Apostles and the prophets. Not following. Don't fall asleep. The prophetic foundation. What is the prophetic foundation? Let us try to understand. So the, the church is built on the chief cornerstone, no other foundation can be laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostolic ministry teaches the doctrine to bring about obedience to the faith. Obedience which is complete. Obedience which glorifies God. But it is never complete except with the prophetic ministry. And what is the prophetic foundation? Second Chronicles 2020. Okay, you want a 2020 vision for your life? Two... Second Chronicles 20, 20. Look at what it says. Who says this? Very interesting. Second Chronicles 20, 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, who stood before? Mark that word. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord and you will be established. No other foundation except the foundation of Jesus. Next Believe in the prophets and you will succeed. So what is the prophetic foundation? The apostolic foundation brings about obedience. The prophetic foundation brings correction. Which people hate. That is the reason why prophets were sawn into two. That's exactly what happened to Isaiah. Manasseh was so frustrated with him. They said, kill this fellow. How do we kill him? We should teach everybody a lesson. Make the tree of the trunk of the tree hollow. Put him inside and chop it into two. 
kill Elijah. You know why? Because he will tell you what is wrong in your life. He will bring correction. Which verse is this? Second Chronicles 2020. He got the 2020 vision. You know why? Because something happened in his life. Which will teach him a lesson for his life. It's found in Second Chronicles chapter 18. Now Jehoshaphat heard, had great riches and honor and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. And some years he went down, after some years he went down to Ahab in Samaria and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him. Where is Judah? South. Where is Samaria? North. Jehoshaphat prospered and he did he go up to north or did he go down to north? He went down. You know that, right? It's consistent through scripture. Whenever you go away from God, even if you're going up, you're going down. And when did this happen? When you had great riches. When God prospered you. And you took it easy. Jeshurun waxed fat and he kicked. So he goes down. Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who are with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Kiliath. Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go, go to me with, uh, will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? He answered, I am as you are, my people as your people, we will be with you in the war. And Jehoshaphat said to the king, inquire first of the word of the Lord. You see, the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. 400 men and said to them, shall we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall we refrain? And they said, go up. God will give you success. But Jehoshaphat said, is there another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire and double check? See, you like people who flatter you? Some sense is there in Jehoshaphat. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. See the prophetic ministry? What does it do? Brings correction. I remember, no? I was traveling in a train back from Chennai to Hyderabad. There was one man of God who was there in in the next uh, seat. And he said, are you a believer? He said, I'm, I'm a believer. Immediately laid hands on me and he said, brother, this year the Lord is going to take you to America. That was in 2008 and I never went to America. That is prophetic ministry these days. Do you want to receive a prophet, prophetic word for you? Come to this meeting. A prophecy for you. They're all soothsayers. They're not prophets. The genuine prophetic ministry will bring about a correcting word. That's exactly what the pulpit has to do. It has to bring about obedience, but that obedience is never complete unless you have course corrections every day of your life. Got that? You got that? 
And you know what happens most of the time when people correct you? You hate them. Hate. How many of us like to be corrected? Blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. That's what Jesus said. We all like people telling good things about me, like Ahab. But Jehoshaphat says, you know what? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be established. Believe in his prophets. You will finish your course. You will succeed. It's a correcting ministry. Why? Romans chapter 6, oh sorry, not Romans chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 to 25. Commandment is a lamp. Law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are a way of life to keep you from the evil woman. From the flattering tongue of the seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart. Nor let her allure you with your eyelids. That's the reason why, you know, one of the reasons why Peter will say, let all of you be clothed with humility and be subject to one another. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Every time you accept correction, you know what you're doing? You're humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you in due time. You know what? After that, he doesn't stop there. He he doesn't stop there. Peter, Peter goes on to say, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. The next word will say, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion to seek someone to devour because the moment you get offended and do not humble yourself, you are just like the devil full of rebellion. He comes and snatches you. Beware. Beware. You want to please God? You want to please God? There is no other way unless God starts working inside of you. He is not going to build any other foundation except the foundation of repentance every day of your life. No other foundation, a foundation of the apostolic ministry which brings about total obedience to God. No other foundation except the prophetic ministry which constantly keeps correcting us so that we can make course corrections because even if we make a small error in a degree, we can go away from our destination and end up somewhere else. No other foundation. No other foundation. The apostolic and the prophetic. The apostolic which brings about obedience and the prophetic which brings about correction every day of life. Why? Commandment is lamp. Law is life. Light. But what? Reproofs of instruction. Constant reproof of instruction is the way of life so that you will never be deceived. You will stay on that path and you will finish your journey and you will finish your course. You want to please God? That is the reason why you know what he says? We walk by faith and not by sight. But we make it an ambition to please God. You know why? For we all we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of everything that we have done in our body, whether good or evil, and therefore knowing the terror of God we persuade man every day of our life. Every day of our life. Constantly keep learning the word of God, learning the word of God, ask God for a genuine desire, don't make compromises here and the little little things, don't, don't say it's all okay, Choda things, why are, you, why are you so 
particular about these little little things. These little little things matter in the kingdom of God. You don't understand that. The little little things are those things which are most significant. Even as you progress in your life, the first basic things you learn in your life in mathematics is what? Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Class 1, class 2, same thing. Class 3, same thing. You come to PhD, you are still doing the same thing. In a much more complicated way. Those little, little things matter. We never forget that, therefore. We stir us back and say, Lord, partial obedience, Lord, I said this, I, I said I obeyed, but I didn't obey. I didn't obey, Lord. I didn't obey. I was corrected, but I got offended. Blessed is the one who does not get offended. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. That is how God is going to build his church and he's going to build each one of, each one of us so that we can finish the purpose for which he has created us. There's no other way to do it, saints. There is no other way to do this. This is every day of our life constant, one day at a time. Amen. Okay. Shall we pray this evening? We ask God, Lord, let us not get offended, Lord. Teach us, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Father, we thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. Pray, Father, for each and every one of us here, O Lord. You brought us to remembrance so many things that we have learned. But Lord, make it fresh in our lives, O Lord Jesus. Teach us not to get offended when we hear your word. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.